0: You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today, and as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter, at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. But this morning, we are going to open up the last chapter in 2 Timothy. We have two weeks left. We will cover the first eight verses of chapter 4 today. And then next week, we will close up our series on Timothy uh, with the last 14 verses. But this morning, I want to set the stage for what t- uh, Paul is going to tell us through Timothy. And I think this is, if I could boil it down to one thing, I think Paul would tell Timothy, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. It's not how you start, but it is how you finish. And I've got two great examples for you. One It's going to be heartbreaking for some of us, and one's going to be inspiring for all of us. If you're a Rangers fan, you're never going to forget the 2011 season. It was a season that we finally saw ourselves in the World Series. It's game six. You remember this against the St. Louis Cardinals? Have a two-run lead, and we watched that lead slip away not once but twice. In fact, in both innings, the Rangers, we were one pitch, one strike away from World Series chance. I mean, we were that close. The Cardinals go on to win that game in the 11th with a walk-off home run, and then game seven, they win the World Series. And all Rangers fans would say, man, we started off great, but it's not how you start, it is how you finish. And we'll never forget that season. This season we want to forget, but 2011, you know, we wish we could go back and do that again. But now let me tell you about John Stevens' Arquari. Well before my time in 1963, he's in the Mexico Olympics, and he's a marathon runner for Tanzania. He takes off, and it's a few kilometers in, and he gets tangled up, and he takes... A terrible fall. In fact, the medical examiners came around him and tried to convince him not to continue. So he walked, he limped, sometimes even tried to run the entire rest of the race. In fact, they had started the awards ceremony before he even finished. Many people had already gone to celebrate the Ethiopian that had won that year, but a few thousand people remained in the stands, and they began cheering as this courageous runner, bloodied, bruised, and bandaged. He grimaced every step of that final lap of that race. Later, Akwari was interviewed, and they asked him why he continued to run why well, he continued to race after he had been so badly injured. That, hey, everybody would understand. It's okay. But this is what he said. He said, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to begin a race. They sent me to finish a race. And I think he would say it's not how you start. It is how you finish. So as we are going to look at these eight verses in chapter 4 today, I I want us to remember where Paul is because it's vitally important that Paul is in a Roman dungeon, not on a house arrest anymore, but in a Roman dungeon. He is perhaps days, if not weeks, away from his death. He knows his race is about finished. He knows he's coming to the end. So he picks up his pen and paper and he writes his last words to young Timothy, his partner in the gospel. So let's pick up in chapter or 2 Timothy 2, chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. He says, I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. And so, first of all, I want us to notice the intensity that he puts behind this charge. He says, I charge you, or yours might say, I urge you, Timothy. And he's going to give him three reasons behind why this charge is so intense and so important. First, he says, in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ. So he's reminding Timothy that, Timothy, listen, you are never Out of God's sight. Timothy, when you're discouraged, hey, God is there. When you feel weak, He's there. When you don't know what to do, God is there. When you're standing up against those false teachers, God is there. And so he's reminding Timothy, never forget, first and foremost, that God is your audience. That He is always there before you. Never forget that he's never too far away and that he is the one that you are living your life before. And what a great reminder, I think, for even us today, that not only are we always within God's sight, allow that just to sink in for a moment, but we should live our lives first and foremost for him, that he is our audience, that he is the one that we are wishing to look upon our lives. And then he says, Jesus will judge the living and the dead. That God the Father has given this privilege, this honor, this authority. You can read about it in John chapter 5 where it says, all authority is given to you, Jesus, my son, to judge. What does that mean? Because I think it can have these different word pictures. I think in this context, he says that we live our lives. and we come to the end of them, and Jesus is the one that looks upon your life and gives the final stamp of approval. Then in the end, Jesus' opinion is the only one that matters. Because think about all the time that we spend worrying about what other people think about us in our lives and how little time it seems that I spend thinking about what Jesus really thinks. That he's, His approval is the one that I should seek above all else. Well, then he says the last thing in this charge, he says, and don't forget the coming kingdom. And he's telling Timothy, remember that this world will soon pass away. Don't get wrapped up in all the things now. Don't forget that one day I'm coming to establish my kingdom that will last forever. So I think Paul is saying to Timothy this. Timothy, Man, I know my race is coming to an end. You've got years probably ahead of you, but don't lose the sense of urgency that we can go through this life and I think we can do exactly that. We, can, we get comfortable, at least I do. We, we lose that sense of urgency about what is really important and even, I would say, what's at stake. Then we should ask ourselves, am I living... With that sense of urgency. When I wake up on Monday mornings. Do I have this sense of urgency. Behind what God is calling me to do. Are you living your life believing. That you are always within God's sight. Always within his presence. That Jesus' opinion. His is the only one that matters. That come to the end of our lives. He will be the one to give the stamp of approval. And knowing that one day his kingdom will come. And all of this will pass away. Are we investing in the right kingdom? Well, now that we have this sense of urgency, only verse one, he's going to give Timothy five things to focus on. The urgency is there. Don't lose sight of that. Now he says, I'm going to give you five things, Timothy, to focus on. First of all, he says in verse two, preach the word. And that means to proclaim. It isn't just what I'm doing here. It means to boldly, Proclaim something. It means to speak boldly about a certain thing or a person or a truth. But when you put that behind what we just saw in verse 1, I think he's telling Timothy that, hey, boldly proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. But when you do it, know that all of the authority of heaven is behind you. God is watching. Jesus will judge. He's coming to set His kingdom. That is the power that stands behind you when you proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. So know that that's just as true of you and me today. That any time we're talking about who Jesus is and what He has done, whether it's to ourselves, our neighbors, our family, that all the authority of heaven stands behind that message. The first voice is preach the truth. Then he says, be ready in season and out of season. You've probably heard that uh, used before. It means to be prepared whether the time seems favorable or not. Be ready no matter the circumstances. Because there are some things that we know when we get ready and we go and do that. I spend each week usually getting ready for this moment right here. But what about all of the other moments that we have throughout the week they just creep up and surprise us. For God wants us to speak truth into that. It means wake up each and every morning ready for whomever God will bring into your life for you to make an impact in theirs. Then he's going to get real personal. He says, so preach the truth. Be ready in season and out of season. And then he uses the word reprove. Now that's, I don't know, it's not a real common word that we kind of use often, but it means to correct someone that is in a time where they're an error or they're mistaken. And I've been in those where, man, I was believing a certain thing or I thought a certain thing. False teachers are coming into this church, and he writes to Timothy saying this, sometimes you're going to need to reprove. You are going to need to help people to see the truth. You know what, there'll be times where you're going to need to do that, where you're going to need to speak truth and to help people see the lies that they are following. And is it easy? Absolutely not. Then he says, not only correcting people that might be believing a wrong thing, he says rebuke. That one you might know a little bit more. It says, when people begin believing lies, what happens is behavior soon follows. And there may need to be a time where you are calling people back to truth and rebuking the sin that they are taking hold of in their life. It means to expose the sin of those sinning. It's like shining the light in a dark room. But I think it's what he's saying. He's saying that you need to fight for those that are falling into ungodly lifestyles. I don't know if you've ever been on either side of that. Both sides are very difficult. If you've ever had to go to someone you love and say, listen, out of all love, I need you to notice something. Or been on the other end where somebody has come to you and said, hey, I need to talk to you about something. And I've been on both sides of those, and I can say, as, as painful as it was to go to someone, I'm glad I did. And even the time that I had to. Where someone had to say, hey, we need to talk about something that I've noticed in your life. But it's very difficult. No one likes being corrected. No one likes being held accountable for their actions, especially when we know they're ungodly. So what we do, we have to follow Scripture. First of all, we have to examine our own lives. Before we would ever go and do this to someone, Lord, show me the sin that I need to confess. But then we go to them with truth, love, So he says, be ready to preach in season, out of season. Sometimes you're going to have to reprove, correct error. Sometimes you're going to have to rebuke and to shine light on the sin that is happening. And then he says, exhort or meaning to encourage. The Christians, man, we need to correct those that are accepting lies. We need to fight for them in that. We need to call back those that are living ungodly lives. And we need to encourage those that are trying to do it well. Man, I think oftentimes that, man, we can focus on everybody to fly right. Man, do we take time to acknowledge those that are trying, to encourage them in that. It's not always about pointing out the errors and wrongs. Sometimes it's about noticing the good. Actually, that hit me right in the eyes this week. I'm the one in our family. I can always point out the wrong of my children. But finding the things they're doing well, they're doing good, that they're trying in, and noticing that and letting them know that. So he says, reprove, correct error, rebuke, call back to holiness, and encourage. But notice how he ends this. With, this is what he says to take with you. Complete, which means full of patience and teaching. Meaning sanctification, us becoming more like Christ. If you haven't realized in your own life, it's a slow process. Man, your life doesn't get overtaken and immediately you find yourself completely sanctified and holy. It takes time for those sinful and rough edges to get knocked off. It is sometimes really slow. So it says we must be full of patience and a desire for others to learn. In fact, you could go to Ephesians 4 verse 2 where it says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. That's what we are supposed to do for each other. All humility, all gentleness, all patience. We are to bear with one another. He also says in Colossians 3 verse 13, bearing with one another. There it is again. Locking arms, and we would often say staying in the boat. As hard as that is sometimes, Jimmy, we know. Stay in the boat. Bearing with one another. Fighting for and with one another. If one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so that you must also forgive. That we need to remember that we are in this walk towards Jesus together. That I need you and you need me and you need the people next to you. So sometimes we have to reprove. We have to rebuke. But you know what? That is best done when you have the relationship. And sometimes to encourage. Full of patience. And this is Paul's last words to Timothy. But then Paul's going to tell Timothy in verses 3 and 4 why this is so important. Look at what it says. For the time is coming when people, they will not endure sound teaching, but having itchy ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers that sought their own passions. And we'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. That we naturally, by by nature, we move away from truth. And we are prone to wander. You know what we do? We look for messages that we want to hear. We, We look for teachers and preachers and writers and bloggers that will confirm what we want to be true. In fact, this was true in Timothy's day, and it's even true in ours, that I think in my experience, I've seen this most with the acceptance of same-sex attraction and homosexual lifestyle. I've got a friend named Jared. I remember when he reached out to me and told me this, and so I went and I met with him. And it was amazing. He said, oh, but man, I have found this preacher. I found this guy that writes. What he's saying and meaning that they interpreted the scriptures in a way that I want them to. That we seek out teachers and we seek out bloggers and we seek out writers that will write to confirm what we want to be true. And this was true when Paul was writing to Timothy and it is true today. So he says, when everyone else is following this way, Timothy, when they can't listen, they don't want to hear sound doctrine. They don't want anybody to rebuke them. They don't want anybody to correct them. Look at verse 5. He says, as for you. so he says, Timothy, when others are rejecting truth, when they're living ungodly lives, I want you to live differently. I want you to swim against the current. So he's going to challenge Timothy to do four things. First thing, notice what it says. As for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded. It means to to keep a clear mind, a a cool head in the face of difficulties. It means to be well-balanced. Do you know anybody like that? That that they're stable, they're they're self-controlled. It means to remain morally alert. Keep your mind about you, Timothy. Number two, he says, endure suffering. To endure under pressure, to continue through conflicts. He's going to tell him, stay in the boat. Christians who desire to follow Christ, you know what? You can expect, I can expect hardships and suffering. It is just a part of what we are called to do. Then this third thing he says, do the work of an evangelist. So do the work of an evangelist. So what is it that evangelists do? What is it that he's telling Timothy? So an evangelist is this. It's anybody that speaks boldly and often and with passion about something that they love. So here's the honest truth. We're all evangelists. We all have things that we naturally love, whether it's a type of car certain food, a favorite skin product, or a sport. So if you haven't noticed, the World Cup has just begun. You have this for an entire month, I think. I've yet to understand why people can be so excited about time. I mean, they just go nuts that they didn't win. And so I'm trying to figure this out. But there's people, there's evangelists that are passionate about soccer. Because here's the truth. We naturally talk about what we love. You could just go to someone's news feed and scroll down through their last post over the last week, and you can tell what they love. They're evangelizing, they're talking about what they love. So, the more you fall in love with Jesus, the more naturally you will talk about Him and what He's done. So, how do you do that? Paul puts it in the next part of this verse. So as for you, keep your mind about you, endure suffering when it happens, do the work of the evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Now I want to camp out here for just a minute because these three words are really important. First of all, notice what Paul says to fulfill. It means to, to live out, to complete something. Then he says, notice, he uses your ministry, not mine. He doesn't say, fulfill my ministry, keep my legacy going, Timothy. He says yours, meaning it's personal. And that third word is ministry or calling. So he says, Timothy, live out complete your calling, not mine. So now let me turn that towards us. Do you know your calling? Do you know your ministry? Now, I think you can look at this in a couple of ways. One, I think there are things that we're all called to. In fact, Timothy and Paul, they were both called to proclaim the truth of Jesus to the Gentiles specifically. But then, notice that it looks sometimes different. Paul was the pioneer. He was the starter. But once that happened... The church is established, then comes Timothy. to Faithfully teach, year after year, raise up leaders. So even though they had a calling that was similar, a ministry that was similar, it looked differently. So when I think about us, I think there are really three things that we are all called to that you could probably fit almost anything in. And this is what I've boiled them down to. Lead your family love your neighbor, and serve Christ's church. Lead your family, love your neighbor, and serve His church. And I think Scripture is very clear that these are things that we are called to do. We're called to lead our family, love our neighbor, and serve His church. But our callings and how that's fleshed out might look a little different. In fact, family, I mentioned earlier, One way Paul Keel has led his family is through the Buffalo River. I was on with him with the, um, the first one was the boys' trip. And on this trip, Paul had his two sons. And his two sons each had their sons. In fact, one of them had two of them. So the last night of that boys' trip, we got together and Charlie Heaton led us in a time of blessing our sons. And I'm telling you, there wasn't a dry eye watching Paul Keel put his hand on his sons and bless them, and then watching them bless their son. That's how he has found a way to lead his family. My wife is is extremely dedicated to a family devotion at breakfast. And that's a way that she has found to lead her family. So the question would be, what are you doing to make an impact in your family? What is God calling you to do to find your way of leading your family? Can it be a part of the buffalo? Absolutely, you should do that. Can it be family devotions? Yes. But what is God calling you to do to lead your family? I heard this morning, uh, Tom was gone on the trip with the uh, junior high kids. And uh, every day he left his daughter a note that he hid in a scavenger hunt. You know, she'll remember that for the rest of her life. That's leading his family. So what, what are, hopefully there's some things that come to your mind where God is calling you to lead them. Then love your neighbor. Some of you, God has called you to love your neighbor through adoption and foster care. And I'm so thankful there are so many in this church that are passionate about that. Others, man, they have taken up Offering their time and energy and resources to the East Texas Food Bank. Of helping feed those through the summer programs. Man, that's loving your neighbor. Some of you are that one that will go and you'll mow that neighbor's yard or get up and clean out their gutters. It will trim their tree because they can no longer do that. What are you doing? How is God leading you to make an impact in loving your neighbor? And then serving His church. We're all called to do that. My role may look a little different than yours. I mean, I'm called to lead, to, to pastor, to preach. Yours might look a little different. So on August the twenty we're going to be changing some worship times. What are we are going to be doing on that Sunday? We are going to launch a new service time at 9 a.m. So we're going to be having worship at 9 and worship at 10.30. And at both times, there'll be Bible studies because here's why we want to do that. One, we want to make more room for other people. But also, we want to create more opportunities for people to serve His church. And one of the things that we talk about this is to uh, worship one, serve one, connect one. That At any stage of life, you can worship an hour, serve an hour, and connect an hour. And this will provide that. Or you can come on a Sunday morning and at 9 o'clock and you can worship, gather as a family around God's word, singing praises. And then at 10.30, find a place of ministry, a team to invest in. Or you might be just the opposite. Man, we're going to come and at 9 o'clock, we're going to serve as church. And then at 10.30, we'll gather as a family and worship. But I want to highlight one team. As you can see, these banners are starting to get some names on them, which, man, that, we're so thankful for that. But I want you to notice this team right here on my right. Bethel Kids, K-3rd. through Brittany McMahon is the team leader of that team, and that team needs to double. That means for every leader we have, we now need two because we're going to be offering Bible study for our kindergarten through third grade both hours. So we need some people to step in to God's calling to be a part of that team, to invest in the lives of our children in the kindergarten through third. So how do you do it? You simply go online to make room or Bethelbible.com make room, or you find that sheet right back there on that table, and we will get you connected. So what is God calling you to do to serve His church? So only after now Paul reminds Timothy that all authority of heaven stands behind you when you proclaim the truth. Only after he lays out some things that Timothy might not be called upon to do of reproving, correcting, encouraging. After he reminds Timothy to be clear-minded and endure suffering and do the work of the evangelist. Find and complete your ministry. Paul's going to take a moment and reflect. And what he's going to do, he's going to say some things about himself in the present, in the past, and in the future. And as I read it this week, I thought, man, I I hope this is true of me, and I hope it's true of you. Look at verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. So a drink offering in the Old Testament is when a sacrifice would be made, they would take wine and they would pour it. Around that altar. And Paul's talking in the present tense that that's my life. Man, I want my life to be seen in that way. I want my life to be seen as spent and given for others. Not chasing after just my ambitions, but others. And think about that. Ever since the Damascus Road where Jesus grabbed a hold of him. Everything that he was given by God is wealth. His body, his mind, his passions, reputation, relationships, and dreams. He lived them for others. And then he says, my time of my departure is coming. That's a a Greek word which has a picture of a ship kind of loosening its ropes and floating off into the distance. And that's Paul. He's about to lift up that anchor, toss aside that rope, and joyfully... Sell off to a better place. (coughs) And Paul knows and believes that Christians, we never die. We just depart to a better place. Then he moves to the past. Verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Meaning, I have fought that Paul was a warrior. (coughs) Now, Paul wasn't physically impressive, but... He was a spiritual warrior. He stood up against Governor Felix, Herod Agrippa, Roman officials, riots in Ephesus and Corinth. He endured all kinds of struggles on his journey. But he says, I fought. (coughs) I never gave up. And he says, I finished (coughs) the race. I think he would have said what John Stevens did. Jesus didn't send me hundreds of miles to begin a race. He sent me to finish it. So Paul faithfully ran that race, that course that God laid out for him. Because Paul knows that. (coughs) Excuse me. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. Because now look at the last verse, verse 8. Henceforth. This is what he's thinking about now in the future. There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only me, but also all those who have loved his appearing. You know what's waiting on Paul is not a crown of glory. Sometimes that's what we're after. Not even a crown of peace. Not even a crown of joy. But he chooses the word righteousness. So why is Paul looking to that more than anything else? Well, I believe it's because righteousness is our greatest need. We can do a lot of good, but we'll never hit the mark. In fact, righteousness is the one thing that we can't do for ourselves. We can never be good enough. That we need Jesus' ultimate righteousness, and that is what Paul is waiting on. So Paul wants us to be all aware that that's what's coming. So I'd close by this. <coughs> Where are you on your journey? Are you moving closer and closer? In fact, we are. Each and every day, we are moving closer and closer to seeing Jesus. And you know what? That'll bring one of two things. It'll either bring delight or it'll bring dread. You'll either be excited that he's finally appearing, that your king of kings and your lord of lords is there. Or it will be dread because you'll realize, wow, I missed it. I chased after a lot of things. I gave my life to a lot of things. Time after time again, and I missed it. Maybe your journey started off great. Man, maybe you started off like gangbusters. But over the years, you have found yourself more and more distant from Him. Man, I want you to know that He's never left you. He's always there. And that you're never outside His watchful care. But then the last thought would be this. Are you fulfilling? Are you living out God's call for your life? Are you leading your family? I know you can't do it perfectly because I can. not Are you loving your neighbor? And are you serving His church? So what I'd like to do, I'd like to end by just thinking about those thoughts that how are we doing with our families? Are those around us that we're neglecting? And are we serving his church? Because each and every day we're getting closer to that determined finishing. Paul met his and you'll meet yours just like me. So remember, it's not how you start, it's how you finish.